What's up, guys? It's David Hess from the Rising Above podcast. Have you ever thought or dreamed about starting a podcast? Well, look no further. Anchor has all the tools necessary to record a podcast from your computer or phone. You heard that right. They make it so simple. When you host your podcast on Anchor, they will distribute your podcast on platforms such as Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. Honestly, it's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place, which is why I host on Anchor. Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm today to get started. Rise and Above podcast. My name is David Hess, and today I am talking to two savages. Uh, they are they're what would you guys call yourself? Rowers? What do you? I don't really know much about what you do. Well, I think first and foremost for sailors who sailors. are going okay. on, a, on a crazy rowing adventure. <laughs> okay, so I'm talking to two <laughs> sailors, uh, Lisa Roland and Nini Champion. Uh, Nini. Uh, would you uh, mind telling me a little bit about yourself and where you're from and what you like to do and um, maybe a little bit about this project you're going to partake on? Definitely. I'd love to. Um, first of all, thank you so much for having us on the show. Um, I am in Annapolis, Maryland. This is where I grew up. Um, and I grew up sailing with my family. And uh, I, let's see. I'm like, there's so much to unload here that I want to tell you about. So, um, well, take, take I, us back to the, take us back to the beginning and what, what got you into, uh, sailing and obviously you said your family, your yeah. family did it. So at uh, what age did you start sailing? Um, well, just my dad had a boat growing up. So we kind of went on family trips when I was younger. Um, and then I wasn't as much involved in sailing during my high school or college years. It was more so going out for fun with some friends as more than, uh, more than doing it as a sport. Um, even though Annapolis, it's a huge part of my hometown. And it wasn't really until after college that I got very involved with sailing. Um, I was spending some time in Antigua and ended up, uh, I, well, I did some work in a boatyard, and after that, I, in my time in Antigua, I was walking around the docks and decided to hand out my CV and do some freelance work. And from there, it very quickly snowballed into this really cool um, life adventure and job, which was, uh, you know, I decided that I wanted to work on deck as a mate um, for a yacht and in specific or and in particular I had my eyes set as working aboard a classic sailboat and um yeah I held out for several years uh to find a position working as a female on deck which is really difficult as a female starting up in the sailing industry um but after about three years of freelance work I landed the position I wanted and ended up as mate to a 23 meter classic sailboat and uh, now I'm working as a rigging technician in my hometown of Annapolis. And um, yeah, that's my story so far. <laughs> awesome. That's, that's crazy um, that you were able to break through those barriers 
Uh, Lisa, you want mind telling me a little bit about yourself and where you're from? Um, obviously, you're in Greece right now. Tell us a little bit about that as well. Yeah, so um, I'm actually Canadian. Um, I grew up, uh, for the most part, in the Ontario area, um, kind of all over the place, because um, I was actually raised in the foster care system. Um, and then I moved out to the East Coast to Halifax, Nova Scotia, um, when I, I think it was like right at the end of 17, the start of it, when I was 18, because I wanted to start ocean sailing. So I started sailing um, uh, kind of in like summer camps and that sort of stuff. And then um, a family that I was with uh, in my teen years bought a boat. Um, so I just developed this like crazy love of sailing. Um, and it was actually a book that I read. Um, it was called Pirates by Celia Reese. Um, and it was about this girl and she had... Um, like gone from England to Jamaica um, and uh, because of her her family was quite wealthy and her stepfather died and uh, she got moved to Jamaica by her stepmother and uh, she hated it there so she escaped and she worked on a pirate ship and it was this really really cool story and coming from the background that I came from um, I kind of always fantasized that that would also be my escape um, so that's kind of what prompted me to move out to the East Coast um, and start ocean sailing. I had, uh, I had my eyes set on working on tall ships and I mean, effectively, I just wanted to be a pirate. <laughs> um, and uh, so I got a job on a really beautiful classic boat uh, that did day charters in the Halifax Harbor. And the captain, well, the first captain wasn't maybe so keen on having women on deck. Um, he told me that I'd make a better bartender <laughs> wow. than, uh, than a deck crew. But then the next captain, um, he was the one who kind of, uh, he really mentored me and then told me how to get into the industry going abroad. Um, so from there, I worked on a tall ship in Italy. And that's definitely kind of where my life really changed, um, especially again, through another really amazing mentor. Um, I sort of learned the ropes and he was the first person who ever told me I was going to go on to be a captain. And now that was about eight years ago. And now I am one. <laughs> um, um, so I'm sitting on my boat in the shipyard right now. We, uh, we go in the water tomorrow. <laughs> um, so I'm on a small little island in Greece. Um, and then I run a private sailing yacht. Um, so we're just getting ready for the season and we'll be sailing through the Med um, this summer and then heading, heading back to the Caribbean in the winter. And hopefully Nini will be on board when we do the next crossing. <laughs> that is quite the adventure. So yeah, it's wild. <laughs> why, why, first off real quick, why is there why is there um why don't they allow women too often in the in that field is it just something women don't want to do or i would say that it's not that it's uh that they're not allowed it's just a norm that isn't as accepted because women are often pigeonholed to below deck duties such as being in the galley uh 
cooking or uh, being the stewardess, folding the laundry and cleaning the interior of the deck so much as running the deck. And uh, yeah, Lisa, is there anything else you want to add there? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's um, it's kind of uh, working on deck is very much sort of an old boys club. Um, <laughs> and it's it's like a lot of different industries. Um, I mean, in construction, you see um, about the same percentage of women in construction as you see uh, females on deck in the yachting industry. Um, and it's uh, I mean, it's very it's very physical work. Um, and it's just, it just kind of plays back into traditional gender stereotypes where women, women belong in the kitchen, you know? Um, but over, I mean, I know over my career, over about the last 10 years, um, I've seen a big push of women moving onto deck side and it's becoming more prevalent, especially with organizations, um, like She of the Sea which is one of the biggest diversity driven organizations in the yachting industry right now. Um, women are becoming a lot more empowered and sort of breaking through, breaking through that barrier. Um, and I mean, even, even today I had, I had an example of kind of the, the misogyny a little bit that's, that's attached to it. Um, I was in, a sh uh, in the shipyard right now and uh, there was something, I was kind of doing a job on the hull of the boats and then the technical manager, because Greeks are a little bit old fashioned that way. The technical manager came and he was very much kind of mansplaining this job to me and I was getting kind of frustrated and I was like, just back <laughs> off. <laughs> um, and we definitely run into a lot of that, but I mean, there's, there's a lot more support now even than it was 10 years ago and it's only moving forward well that's very cool i'm i'm glad that you were able to break through those barriers and show those guys what's up <laughs> um, yeah buddy <laughs> <laughs> so uh i guess i kind of want to move forward and talking about your guys's is it uh organization the ocean grown or grown ocean what is it what is it called i'm sorry team ocean grown ocean grown okay how did that come about and what is your guys's, oh my gosh, like I cannot, what is your guys's plan as far as going across the ocean in a rowboat? Like, how does that even come about? That's a pretty savage, savage thing to, to do. Well, I think Lisa and I both had our introduction to the Tylasker Whiskey Atlantic Challenge and being in Antigua, which is actually where Lisa and I had the pleasure of meeting ourselves. But Antigua serves as the finish line um, for the Tylasker Whiskey Atlantic Challenge. And it starts in La Gomera, Spain. So it's a 3,000 mile row. <laughs> and Why? we both had the pleasure of watching the rowers come in. Um, it, it's a row that starts in December of every year and it takes anywhere from 30 to 90 days, 30, around 30 days being kind of like the world records <laughs> area. <Wow. laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, um, and yeah, and then you have teams of solo pairs, triples, and uh, up to four people. Um, even though there are also ocean rowboats out there who with larger, uh, that can accommodate more crew. Um, so yeah, that, that was where we had our introduction, seeing the rowers come in. And then I think from there, it, uh, 
we were, we had the opportunity uh, to speak to some of the rowers and just kind of recognize that it was a challenge that was tangible in our own ways. Um, and then, you know, I had the pleasure of meeting uh, a man named Charlie Pitcher, who uh, actually is a founder of Rannick Adventures um, and a good friend of mine. And the Rannick Adventures is an organization that builds the boats, but also helps with uh, experienced advice and as well as kind of assisting with transport of the boats and much, much more. Um, so you know, getting to know him and having his knowledge to kind of support us in making this dream come true um, has been a huge part of our growth as a team. Uh, I mean, Lisa and I were at a dinner party one evening when we kind of recognized that we both had this seed of an idea to like take on this challenge. And from there it's developed into Team Ocean Grown and yeah, and now just kind of making the moves to uh, get to the start line, which in and of itself is a challenge uh, in its own. So you, you guys haven't actually done this before then? <laughs> no way. No. <laughs> <laughs> no way. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, you guys... Uh, how did you come up with the idea to, I mean, obviously, uh, Lisa, you said you were in foster care. How did you come up with the idea to raise money for, for funds or for, for the foster care as aging out, I believe is what I read that you're donating the funds to. Is yeah. So the, um, the kind of, uh, idea after Nini and I sort of realized that we both wanted to do this crazy thing um because a lot of teens they raise money for charitable organizations um and as we kind of got to talking about how we wanted our campaign to function i mean from my perspective i knew pretty much straight away that it was something that I wanted to raise funds for um, youth in the foster care system because it's a very marginalized population and also a population that doesn't necessarily have a lot of opportunity given to them. I mean, or any opportunity given to them. Um, I like kind of my story is, is a really rare one. Um, obviously, we know that um, like 50% of youth who grew up in the foster care system don't graduate high school. Um, and most kids come out with PTSD and um, like general mental health issues that last long into their adulthood. And also just the basic, basic support systems. So um, through an organization that I've worked with in the past, Homebridge Youth Society, um, I kind of got this idea to create a scholarship fund for youth who have aged out of the foster care system to pursue careers in the maritime industry. Um, I know for myself, um, kind of once I started, sort of got the ball rolling in, in my career, it's very, very fulfilling. You get to see the world, which like when I first when I first left Canada to go uh, on my first boat job, I had, I had never left North America before. 
I was like, you call it green. I was so green. I thought that like Malta was a city in Italy. So like there's this Facebook status that pops up and it's like on the anniversary of like my first big job. And it's like on my way to Malta, comma, Italy. Like, <laughs> and it's just this kind of reminder of where I started and then where I've gotten to. Um, and to me, I think it's kind of my life's mission to provide those same kind of opportunities for kids who came from the same environment that I did, because I understand the struggles. And for people who don't necessarily have the same ties to land as somebody who came from um, sort of kind of the nuclear family or whatever, right. um, it's when you're at sea 11 months out of the year and you're running all over the world it kind of the people who you sail with and the people who are around you, they become your family. Um, your crew helps to take care of your needs. And it's, um, it's, it's really, it's changed my life completely. So I'd like to provide that for, for other kids. That is cool. That is really cool. Um, so how do you, how do you train? What's the training like for this? I imagine you do a lot of, a lot of rowing. On, on a rower, right? To prepare yourself? Yeah. Um, so as I mentioned, Charlie Pitcher, he's kind of provided us with a training regime while Lisa and I are apart. Um, so we will be on rowing machines and doing uh, interval training when we can, while also just kind of maintaining an active lifestyle, whether it be running, swimming, um, and also yoga to kind of build up smaller muscle groups in order to prevent kind of muscle damage. Um, but, and then in the fall, we will be meeting in Burnham and the United Kingdom and getting some practice in a rowboat, which, uh, I've actually heard is a bit of a challenge, um, these days, just getting into the rowboat to actually pra to practice and train is not as easy as you would think <laughs> getting all your crew together, you know, okay. um, but uh, yeah, so that'll be really good. And then as Lisa mentioned, kind of at the start of this conversation, hopefully I'll be able to join her uh, for the fall crossing uh, that she'll be doing on her sailboat. And we'll be able to kind of do a mock rowing challenge <laughs> on, on a- Actually, I've, I've, I've got the machine right there. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> Yeah, so I mean, keeping in mind that when you're sailing across an ocean, you definitely have to um, stay on watch. So we're gonna have to incorporate some sort of challenge with rowing uh, into our sailing watch routine. But I'm sure Lisa is very, <laughs> very equipped. To oh, you know, I've already got plans. <laughs> so what is what is it like? Like, are you guys rowing like an hour at a time? When do you sleep? I mean. How, and how long, you said it takes 30 to 90 days. What's your guys' time frame? What are you guys hoping to accomplish it in? I think we're looking at, I mean, um, our kind of goal is between 40 and 45 days. I think that would be a really good competitive time for us um, because Nini and I both have a lot of experience at sea. Some of the teams who come in for this race, I mean, maybe sometimes they're uh, kind of skull rowers and that sort of stuff. But having like at sea experience is really important. I mean, between the two of us, uh, we have about 60,000 nautical miles and lots of ocean crossings. And um, we're both uh, 
salty sea dogs <laughs> to say the <laughs> least. Um, so uh, you actually row uh, two hours on, two hours off. Um, and then there's a cabin um, in the bow of the boat. Um, and then you kind of hot bunk it. Um, so we trade off. And then obviously in the day when you're awake a little bit more, there's more time for like pairs rowing. Um, but the goal is to keep the boat moving as long as you can, like consistently um, to sort of maintain speeds. Because then also if you're, if nobody's rowing, then you're drifting, right. um, which is definitely not what you want to be doing. <laughs> so do you guys have somebody following you in like a safety boat? No, it's, it's an unsupported row. Uh, Talisker has uh, two sailing boats that kind of, they're sort of, they do a lot of miles in every season, kind of bouncing around. But then from the start of the race, because the boats become really spread out, um, it's, uh, you're, you're out there on your own. Um, so you have to be fully self-sufficient. So we have a water maker on board. Uh, we have about 90 days worth of military ration food um, and solar panels to run our little bits and our navigation equipment and um, a sat phone. But actually, so what's really interesting and cool about this kind of day and age is we actually have um, a little transponder on board uh, provided by Range Global Services, who's a sponsor for the race. And we can upload footage live from the middle of the ocean wow. um especially for like uh sponsor content um because we definitely are um out there seeking sponsors right now um but so for brands who align themselves with our campaign um we can upload footage live from the middle of the ocean and i mean that's just a super duper cool that's really technique. cool <laughs> that, is, that is really cool so do you, are you guys working with like a nutritionist to figure out like how many calories you should be taking in? I mean, because I would assume that you're taking in a nor you're you're exerting a, an enormous amount of calories. So we don't have a nutritionist at the moment, but we do have plans. I mean, generally speaking, uh, there is evidence that we will burn up to a, about five thousand calories a day. And that rowers lose on average around 27 pounds in the crossing. So it's definitely important to bulk up beforehand. And also, as Lisa mentioned, the two hours on and off, you have to take into consideration that it's not purely just rowing and sleeping. You know, in that two hours off, you're preparing food and, you know, doing some sort of like equipment safety checks, you know, like going to the bathroom. I mean, these are things like it's not just like cut and dry, like right, <laughs> yeah. right. Row and sleep, row and sleep. It's, <laughs> it's um, yeah, it's a challenge for sure. <laughs> that is no biological needs. <laughs> <laughs> that is insane. I cannot, I couldn't even imagine that. Yeah, that's a savage thing to to do. I can imagine that. Um, so you said you're in, you're in need of sponsors right now. How many sponsors do you currently have? Um, we have, uh, we raised a little bit of money through, uh, private donations, um, just through our own kind of friends and family network. Um, but we are sort of, we're still in the initial stages of our campaign. So okay. we've launched our digital media, um, which we're super excited about. Um, but we are looking for, uh, I mean, 
between the charitable aspect and the funds that are required to get us to the start line, we're looking for um, nearly $200,000. Um, it's about a hundred thousand to actually get us to the start line. Um, this money goes towards, uh, the vessel, um, all of the, I mean, it's a lot of really specialized equipment. We have transportation costs and I mean, insurances and all that good stuff. And then we're looking to raise at least 50,000 towards our charitable cause. So charitable, um, the charitable funds will come primarily from private donations um, once we reach our campaign finance costs. Um, and we're looking at about, uh, about 6,000 US dollars, about 5,000 euros per kid. Oops. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like watching her, I'm like, oh geez. <laughs> fell down the wind picked up um <laughs> yes <yeah, so laughs> we're looking at about um yeah about five thousand euros about six thousand us dollars per student um that we're able to fund for uh for sorry i'm still reeling from the little tumble um for each scholarship um so for about every uh dollars, we can fund the courses and uh career counseling and ongoing mentorship for from some of the top industry professionals uh, for the kids who are coming through our uh, scholarship program. Wow. Um, is there a certain, I mean, you said you find courses. I, is there like a maritime uh, school? Is there, is there a place you can go to learn this stuff? Yeah, there is. Um, there's kind of schools all over the world. I mean, I know Nini can attest to this. We've all taken courses all over the world. Um, but there's kind of a, a set of courses that you need to begin. Um, okay. One of them is, um, it's called the Standards of Training and Watchkeeping Certification, uh, the SDCW, as well as a health certification. And those are sort of the really, really um, entry level spots. But for um, the kids who are coming through our program, we want to have them have a little bit of a leg up. So rather than just have the bare minimum, uh, through a little bit of career counseling, we'll figure out uh, sort of what it is that interests them. I mean, if they want to work on the interior or work on deck or in engineering, um, then we can go ahead and sort of get them in a couple of courses that will gear them towards that career path. That's cool. That's really cool. Um, is there anything else you guys want to talk about? I mean, I want you to tell people how, to, how they can donate to you um, directly or because um, you said there was, they can donate to your, your they can fund your, uh, your race or they can donate to the charity, right? Yeah, so definitely support through, um, for us would be amazing. Uh, we have our website at www oceangrown.co. We also have our Facebook, which is Team Ocean Grown. Um, and on both of those sources, you can find our GoFundMe for um, donations. But a huge way to support us is um, finding business sponsorship. And through that, we're hoping to kind of have a community outreach and just through this podcast, sharing our story, you know, not just as sailors who are taking on rowing the ocean, <laughs> but okay. also, you know, our story to have an impact on youth and 
change lives for a better future for um, those kind of growing up in with, with more of a challenging background, right? And a huge thing too uh, is not just changing lives, but also changing perspectives because, you know, there are some people who are aware of like the issue of kids growing up and aging out of foster care, but that is a topic that wasn't even on my radar until re really meeting Lisa, you know? And when we were given the opportunity to choose a charity for which we wanted to support. And Lisa kind of said, you know, this is what I want to do. Um, I was like, wow, yeah, that's really, that's really unique. It's not something that I had ever really considered. And the more I learned about it, the more passionate about it I became. And I think that what you're doing, David, um, having this podcast that like really, you know, provides an opportunity to just bring that on to the radar of other people's or like, sorry, to allow other people to learn about it and hopefully get on board with creating that change. Cause we cannot, we have an opportunity to like break a cycle of poverty and, um, and, and expand education. And, you know, we are just two people trying to change one life. If there are other people who know more about it, imagine, imagine the kind of wake we could create. <laughs> right, exactly. Uh, aging out wasn't, I didn't even realize how big of an issue it was until I actually started this podcast. Um, I, I didn't age out. I was adopted. So, you know, I, I decided to move out, but Lisa, real quick, uh, did you, you age out? Um, my, my situation was kind of a crazy one. I was actually, I was adopted for a little while, but, um, I was adopted as a, as a much older child, but um, with the challenges that that can sort of bring about, um, I sort of went back to the system. Um, but I mean, it's, it's less about the individual story, like my individual story, and more about the stories of the lives that we can change, really. Um, right. Like you said, aging out is a huge, huge problem. And um, it's, it's crazy. Most people don't realize that it's kind of like, okay, you're 18, like, you, yeah, you're gone. <laughs> yeah, you got this right. <laughs> um, so uh, offered like uh, programs like the one that we've created that can actually provide long lasting careers, not just a job, not a handout. But I mean, it's where we're teaching men and women to fish. Right. Um, quite literally, because we do a lot of fancy. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so that's that's kind of the the dream. And I mean, coming from where I came from, I dreamed about being able to do something like this. I mean, well, first I I dreamed of being afloat myself. Um, I mean, literally and metaphorically. Um, but now that my, my kind of story is taking an upturn, it's, it's our responsibility to, to bring the rest with us, you know? Yeah, absolutely. That is awesome. Um, all right. Well, I guess my, I, I didn't realize that, uh, I'm being timed on zoom <laughs> and that eventually I'll have to pay for it. <laughs> um, <laughs> Yeah, they were like, they just sent me a message. They're like, uh, we, we extended your 40 minute limit. I'm like, okay. <laughs> uh <-oh>. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, uh, I, I, I guess go donate, uh, go to Ocean Grow. I'll have the, the links 
attached to this uh, this episode so with that being said is there anything else you guys want to say real quick thank you so uh, much thanks. for having us <laughs> you're welcome yeah thanks thanks so much for having us david and uh i mean let's change some lives <laughs> let's do it <laughs> all right well, thank you guys for coming on i really appreciate it and uh i'll tag you guys in this episode when i post it great awesome all right so take care you too all right bye no. bye